everyone and welcome to another episode of TI Talks. Today I am joined by our editor James Pierce. Hi. And we're going to be discussing a few of the news stories of the last week, including Elon Musk's Neuralink, BrainChip, uh, Apple Vision Pro. And to discuss the Apple Vision Pro, we will be joined later on by a special guest, author and VR expert, Tom Fisk, editor of The Immersive Wire. But James, before we're joined by Tom, let's kick it off by discussing Elon Musk and his Neuralink business about this BrainChip. What's what's going on? As... Um kind of everyone's aware Elon Musk is the tech entrepreneur who owns Tesla he owns Twitter or X as he's called it now um, and he also owns a range of other companies one startup that he's um, he set up a few years ago is was called Neuralink and the idea is it basically is working to allow you to put microchips on people's brains to allow them to kind of engage with technology they're not the only company doing this but the idea is essentially you can kind of use a microchip and put it on certain parts of the brain and then it would enable people with the help of say a device to walk on their own um, if they're paralyzed and, and there's a lot of really cool and interesting medtech applications but the big news this week has been that Neuralink for the first time managed to successfully implant a chip into a human and uh, put it on the brain and uh, it seemed to work and there were no negative effects from what they've released. I think what's interesting is yes it's a big development because obviously this is really futuristic sci-fi stuff um, the kind of thing that you know has been in films for years it's, it's the idea of almost telepathically being able to engage with tech it's called uh telepathy apparently the the, the product yes um which is hilarious because it's not telepathy and it kind of gives a very misleading idea as to what it can do at the moment it's worth noting that even though they put the chip on somebody's brain elon didn't give any details as to what the chips actually whether the chip's working or whether they've been able to link it with anything or whether they've actually kind of seen the next step other companies have they're actually slightly behind some of their rivals, if that's the case, but it's Elon, so. I also read something uh, about it being a robot that actually, like, helped to implant the chip as well. Yeah, so it was a robotic surgeon that they used to, to put it on the brain and put it in the right place rather than a human surgeon, which is really, really cool and interesting. It's becoming a lot more common, actually, to have robots or robot assistants involved in surgery because... To be a brain surgeon, you need to have insanely steady hands, and a robot is going to have steady hands anyway, so a lot of surgeons are using them, although I'm sure there are a lot of surgeons who may listen to this who just tell me to show up and say that they still it's still better done by humanity. Um, I'll leave that debate to, to doctors. <laughs> but what does this mean for, like, the future of, like, humans? Are we all going to end up, like, hybrid, kind of, like, half-robot, half-people, like, characters from Cyberpunk? <laughs> um yeah well we've already we had a story the other week which was about tech that you can basically was helping people jump who can't walk properly as basically robotic legs but they're not legs they're kind of a frame that they wrap around them and that reminded me of cyberpunk because i just thought oh it's like an implant that can make you jump higher yes in a sense i think it's more to help people do things that they can't do at the moment so as i said paralyzed people might be able to walk or the example that elon musk's talked about previously was imagine if you had professor stephen hawking could talk like you and i um, through through his computer because the chip in his brain could recognize so you can, the potential for it's amazing the slight concern is elon musk has been quite vocal about some of the issues around covid19 and vaccines and stuff like that and kind of almost plays into that community that mistrusts any kind of authoritative body 
Now, if you mistrust authority, why on earth are you going to trust somebody who says they want to put a chip on your brain? You don't trust somebody sticking a needle in your arm. Why are you going to let somebody put a microchip in your head? Part of that whole hype was that there was like secret chips inside the vaccine as well. Yeah, Bill Gates was putting chips in in people. That was the the conspiracy theory. Also, if you've ever seen the film Kingsman, there's a little bit of an element of Samuel L. Jackson's character in that who uses a mobile phone to blow up people's brains. Um, so not that I'm say calling Elon Musk a supervillain, but if the shoe fits, <laughs> until they can implant knowledge into my brain, I'm not interested. I want a chip that I can put in my brain, and then all of a sudden I can speak like every language, and I know kung fu. Also, you want the Matrix, basically. You want to be able to kind of do I want the Matrix. Neo. <laughs> I know kung fu. I also bring back black leather jackets. They look great. I draw the line at black leather jackets. You probably pull it up better than I would. <laughs> Another thing that we spoke about uh, this week uh, on Tech Informed was uh, how deep fakes are being used as you know tools to kind of influence elections or even businesses. Um, and in a year where you know almost half the population of the world is going to be voting, there's so much potential for this technology to be used. I guess for you know malicious reasons. What can we expect over the next few months? Do you think? Our listeners should clarify when we talk about deep fakes, we mean manipulated media, essentially. So it could be an audio clip, it could be a video, um, and that it's been manipulated in some way to show something else. And it normally goes beyond just pictures, although, you know, for a long time, you've had that potential for pictures to be forged or uh, manipulated, adapted. But what you've got now is because we're in the age of social media and trust in the media is significantly lower than it's ever been before, it means that people get their news from a lot more sources. And that that's not a bad thing in itself. But what it does mean is that because we've lowered the barrier to entry for releasing news, we've also opened up the potential for people to release more fake news. And by doing that, that means that there's not just the media outlets that maybe are held to a high standard because they're well known there's a lot lot of smaller players who don't have to hold themselves to those standards or who may have an agenda and you throw in the fact that you know in the 2016 election there was u.s election there was accusations of russia manipulating media and and trying to influence the election and and so on and so forth you get other state actors that might potentially want to do things. So you've got a bunch of different players who want to get involved, who might want to have an effect on an election for whatever reason or swing it in the way of a certain candidate. You've got easier access to people than ever before, less trust in the type of people who would say, no, that's fake media. And at the same time, AI has also shifted the dial because it makes it even easier for somebody to create a deep fake. If you put that into a political context, we've seen um, President Joe Biden, for example, an audio of him that was manipulated to make it sound like he was saying things that he wasn't. So there's not really been this many years where there's been this many major elections due to happen at the same time. So the course of the political landscape policy itself could change significantly in a lot of places. And yet effectively, you know, we can't trust what we can see oh, it's harder to trust what we can see. Yeah, and I guess as well, because we, we spoke to um, the great-grandson of Nelson Mandela, Sivalela, um, a few a few months ago now, and he was talking about the dangers of deepfakes in terms of even starting like a civil war, which is like crazy when you think about it. Well, it feels crazy, but then you look at like, 
where the world is at at the moment, the tensions that are escalating in the Middle East um, and the dispute in Gaza or tensions in Taiwan, between Taiwan and China, um, Russia and Ukraine, with the elections, there's a certain element of uncertainty because we don't know if it'll be Biden who will retain the seat or whether Donald Trump might become president again. And their foreign policy at the moment seems like it'll be very, very different. So lots of people don't who are in a political sphere don't know how they're going to act. So you throw into that uncertainty, this unreliability of media and the ability to get it out there really quickly. The one thing that the Taylor Swift story shows is how quickly it can get in front of people through platforms like X or like Facebook. Is there something to say then about how quickly it was kind of disproven as well? And the fact that like, maybe, I mean, like you said, you know, once it's out there, it spreads like wildfire, but then the correction can as well. I mean, I know disinformation spreads much faster than like truth and fact, but is there maybe some hope in the fact that now that we're aware of it and like everybody is so like uh, aware that like these things do exist, it's kind of easier to debunk them maybe? Let's flip that a second. At the moment, nobody's got a real interest in necessarily doubting whether those images of Taylor Swift were real or not. But if it's a political thing, if you're a Donald Trump supporter and there's a video of Joe Biden that's been faked that makes him look particularly bad, are you going to instantly accept when a media outlet that you might not like anyway, like CNN or somebody like that, says, oh, no, that's a deep fake? Or are you going to say, oh, that's a typical conspiracy? And that has an effect. That can sway an election. You could you could use it to the to your advantage too, and I'm sure Trump, you know, is likely to if if he does say or do something bad or something else comes out, he can be like, oh no, that's not real, that's a deep fake. Yeah, and that's the thing you can cast out on real reporting. We talk sometimes about the trust in media, and I say this as somebody who's a journalist, and you are as well. You know, the amount of times that I'll get into uh, conversations with people on Twitter, and especially around the last election. And then they'd see that I was a journalist, even though I write about tech. We drift into politics, but we're very apolitical at Tech Informs. They'll be like, oh, no, well, you're a journalist, aren't you? You can't trust anything you say. I get that from people I've known for like 30 years. Like, oh, you're a journalist, though. You're a bit sneaky, aren't you? And I'm like, I'm the same person I was when we used to play football when we were kids. And then as soon as you disagree with them or present facts, they say, oh, that's fake. Or they'll come back with other facts alternative fact it's a really difficult situation to manage and all we can hope for is that those guardrails manage to hold there's been an undermining of the acceptance that there's such a thing as truth by the idea of what is your truth or my truth or trump's truth you know and as soon as you start kind of looking at the world that way and it's not just Trumpian right-wing people doing it, people have done it on the left as well and in center ground, are kind of more focused on what truth matters to them as opposed to the idea that there is just something's true or not. So, yeah, and deepfakes play into this. And, and you know, we, we've written a lot about the problem with deepfakes for businesses and stuff. But if they start swaying elections, then that could change policy and that could have a massive effect on tech and, and the rest of the world. So it's it's scary, but... You just took it real deep. Deeper yeah, than sorry. a deep fake. <laughs> We're going deep on deep fakes. But you've just described like kind of like a, it's like a perfect storm of like misinformation mixed with like l low levels of trust anyway in the media. And then now Elon Musk is putting chips in people's brains. That's going to like, you know, there's 
potential for that to be used maliciously as well. So it's like, what, what, there's no hope for humanity. And then even when you think there might be hope and you can say, I, I, I trust my eyes and what my eyes see, in, in walks the <laughs> Apple Vision Pro. <laughs> well, maybe this is a more positive story. I don't know. Um, obviously, you know, we're going to talk about it a lot with Tom, who we're very lucky to be joined by. Um, but yeah, the Apple Vision Pro goes on sale this week. Um, $3,499 for a VR XR headset. Um, it's Apple's entry into the market for the first time. Um, reviews of it have been kind of mix mostly positive saying that it definitely moves the dial on what people are doing with vr and xr um but the big question is whether it can make vr and xr or immersive whatever you want to call it the way we work for the future and here to answer that question for us is somebody who knows way more about vr than either of us do or maybe at least me anyway tom fist <laughs> Um, thanks for joining us today, Tom. I know you're not a stranger to uh, Tech Inform podcasts. You've you've been on one before, um, but thanks again for joining us. Yeah, it's great to have you on board, Tom. Good to chat again. Yeah, it's good to chat with the both of you again as well. I'm delighted to discuss what's happening with this uh, new headset from Apple. Tom, with Apple entering the market, it has a significant impact on the interest in the market in general. And we've seen that with the iPhone. We saw that with iPads leading to tablets taking off. And we also saw it with the Apple Watch. It led to significant increase in interest in wearables. I mean, how do you think this is going to drive interest in VR, AR, and XR, if at all? And do you think that's a kind of positive impact overall? What I find really interesting is that it has driven a lot of developer interest in the headset too. So I'm writing my own pieces for the Immersive Wire, and I've received a deluge of uh, small-time developers who normally develop for iOS who are transferring the apps to Vision OS and such like. So from a purely developer perspective, there's a power for Apple effectively moving several millions of their own developers to like a brand new uh, area, which I find particularly interesting. Combined with the work of Unity as well, so I know they've got a Unity partnership too. Um, in terms of wider general interest, there is going to be a spike with the launch of the headset. So there is going to be a deeper question though, whether it'll be longer term after this spike too, because it is a price elastic market. It is $3,500. Not everyone's going to be able to afford to buy it. Um, and therefore, I'm more interested to see if um, there might be a cheaper variation, which will potentially bring more people to the fold too. But appeared from a developer perspective, I, it's, it's actually quite astonishing. The quality of the apps, that's that's another story. I mean, given the price, do you think do you see this as primarily an enterprise play? I mean, I can't imagine many consumers wanting to fork out $3,500 on it, apart from the really high-end buyers and the early adopters. I actually thought it was an enterprise play too, uh, because it is more productivity-focused too. Uh, a lot of the uh, developers I've seen making apps in the moment, a lot of them are based around uh, app timers or like um, basically finance apps. Small little things you do to be more productive and make take care of your finances, basically. Um, so that's like one reasoning. Though the other thing I heard, which I found compelling argument, is that rather than is an enterprise headset, it's more of like a dev kit. It's effectively a dev kit that's going to market where it's for developers to use and play with for the next iteration of uh, Vision OS or the uh, Vision Pro, which I see as a compelling argument because it is very expensive. It is a first generation product which is notorious for being where you kind of test things and then you iterate. So I wonder if that's going to be the strategy which Apple does too. Although 
um, trying to gauge what the Cupertino company is doing on a daily basis can be quite tricky. Tom, can you tell us, are you going to buy one? I wish I could afford it. Uh, I am going to dip into my uh, savings and buy one, yes. James, are you buying one? <laughs> no. I mean, I don't own any other Apple products, but let's leave that aside. One of the issues we've seen with the immersive market in general, Tom, is a lot of setbacks. We've talked about it before. You know, I've always been a bit skeptical, but that has been a kind of maybe slower growth to where back in 2016, 17, everyone thought immersive was going to be the next big thing. And I know you're a massive advocate, so you don't always agree with me when I'm skeptical about these things. Do you think this can can kind of overcome those barriers that have maybe held immersive back previously? And also, second to that, if it doesn't, if Apple don't see the kind of numbers that people expect of them, where does that leave the immersive sector? It's an interesting one because uh, I'm familiar with your arguments on like um, the barriers comes to immersive technologies. Uh, when it comes to lifting those barriers, uh, I do not think Apple's headset will move the needle per se. From an innovation standpoint, it will. From a getting general interest in massive technologies, it will. Uh, and based on my own experiences, the amount of developer interest in it has shifted too. But when it comes to wider adoption, its high price combined with its um, presumed lack of um, apps in relation to the headset as well, it will mean that it's, it's still like a kind of a rickety rise up. I think there is worth a deeper debate about whether people will prefer to be working on their laptops or working via their immersive uh, headsets. I think that's a more existential question that's worth a debate in the future. But for now, because of what I've just described, I think that needle is going to move very slowly this year. Apple released an advert last week, kind of a long form advert showing some of the capabilities of it. And one of the things they seemed really keen to stress was that it's more of an AR play than a VR play necessarily. Um, they, you know, they've got the weird little eye things that you've got on the headset that make it look like you can see people's eyes. And they were keen to stress you can see the room around you. Um, it's definitely a lonely experience. So based on the reviews I've seen online, I have seen is a range of uh, problems wherein, yes, you do have eyes when you look out of it, but it's still, I've heard it's pretty comparatively low quality. It's still quite pixelated. And I think if you were on a flight and you turned to someone with these pixelated eyes, I'm not sure how much respect you have when you're trying to deal with things. Ultimately, it's a, a comparatively lonely experience, even with the holograms you can do, even like the calls you can do too. But I think another question I can ask in relation to this is, there are a lot of people who do work from home at home, and there are a lot of people who work on their own anyway, and they're joining calls throughout the day. Yes, they might come to the office and want to say hello and do meetings, but it's still a lot of people in the world now who work remotely and just would like to ha have bigger screens or bigger desks set up in what might be a smaller apartment or smaller room. I appreciate it's not a big total addressable market. We don't know how big that market is, but the market certainly exists. And I wonder if that might be something they want to tap into. So tell us, how excited are you to get your hands on one and actually, actually give it a try? I'm excited, just not my bank account. It's more that I am interested to have a go, and I'm interested to see how it will do, and I also want like work in it too. Um, at the end of the day, though, I do know that this is a innovative play, and we'll have to see uh, how well we'll do. 
I just think it's a very exciting time. It's not every day you have a new head to come out from a major tech company, which is doing some very different things. I don't think anyone would have expected the eyes coming out of the VR headset, for example. That's that's an innovation. Uh, I don't think anyone expected the pass-through to be as good as it is. That's also innovation. I feel this is like the first of a series of steps when it comes to the innovation stage of these um, immersive tech devices. And I'm intrigued to see what new innovations come when big and small players are like. I guess you're going to be a pretty popular guy for the next few weeks. Everyone's going to be coming around to have Vision Pro parties because no one else can afford to get one. Yeah, you can book me in for as soon as you've got it, Tom. That sounds like the saddest party ever. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, well, Tom, I'm really looking forward to coming around yours and trying the Vision Pro when you've got one. I know your bank account will thank you for it. Um, for our listeners, you can check out the Immersive Wire, which is Tom's publication, if you want to find out much more about AR, VR, and XR. Thanks so much for joining us, Tom. And it's a delight to see you both too as well. Um, continue the good reporting, and I'll see you on the other virtual side. Well, thank you listeners for joining us today for this episode of TI Talks. I hope that you have learnt a whole bunch of new things and I'm not terrified of the world yet. I'm sure this year is going to wrap up to be a very interesting year in terms of what happens with elections and stuff, but we will keep you up to date with that at Tech Informed. So I guess until next time, I've been Ricky. He's been James. Bye guys. Thanks for listening. And goodbye. Goodbye.